The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have your word in the ministry of your word. God, I pray that you would speak your truth by your Holy Spirit through this earthen vessel. Pray that we would uh, be encouraged by your word, strengthened by your word, and uh, empowered to go and live more for you in this cultural moment, in this city that you have placed us in. In Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes, prophecy has a sense of dual fulfillment. And the passage today uh, that uh, I'm bringing forth, uh, I believe is definitely one of those prophecies. And in this case, I'd almost go further and suggest that Jeremiah 29 is a type. That is to say, it's a foreshadowing or a reflection of another greater truth. Very often, particularly in the Old Testament, we'll have types of Christ pictures that, that point us to the coming Messiah. <laughs> a little bit of a lip there. Um, this, this isn't that so much, although there's an element of that, but it is pointing us to a greater truth of the kingdom of God. And in this passage, we're going to see that the kingdom of God has come as we apply it to our present day, our present circumstances to the church Um, in addition to the direct application that it had at the time that Jeremiah was given these words. But the kingdom of God, in Christ the kingdom of God has come. And that is is our truth, that is our reality as we live here today. And in the ultimate completion of the work of Christ, the kingdom of God is not yet. There is more to come, and it's glorious. And it's to that anticipation of the not yet that we're going to be speaking to to a large degree this morning uh, as we look to the uh, first half of Jeremiah 29. I I know the bulletin uh, says through 15, but we're going to be going through 14. Uh, That that was uh, on me. I guess I was a little overzealous for a minute. So we're going to read the text, and then we'll walk through it a little bit, and then I have a couple of points. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what King uh, Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Jemerah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And it will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I chose to read the first paragraph for context and to practice my Hebrew and Persian name pronunciations. <laughs> that was a. But uh, as we look at the context of Jeremiah, he sent this letter. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. And during the Babylonian exile, there were some who remained in Jerusalem, others were driven. Uh, to, uh, to Babylon, and there under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, it's, it's a little unclear how oppressive the exile was, but they weren't home. And it wasn't by their choice. And so the Babylonian captivity um, is, a, is a result of Judah's rebellious towards God and the breaking of his covenant. Uh, at this point in the history of the nation of Israel, this is a split kingdom of Israel. Uh, after the reign of Solomon, uh, Israel was split into Israel and to Judah. Uh, Israel never had a faithful king after Solomon. Judah had a couple, kind of, sort of. Uh, the best of one was Josiah, who Jeremiah began his ministry towards the end of Josiah's reign. But after Josiah, things, things went south badly for, the, for Judah as well. Um, Jeremiah began his teaching near the end of Josiah's reign. And put this in the larger context of, of the whole idea of a human king in Israel. If you'll recall back, the, the putting a king on, on a physical throne, a human king in Israel, came about not by God's, it wasn't against God's plan because in the providence of God, nothing happens outside of his will and purposes. But it came about because the people of Israel came to God and said, we want a king. To which the response that they should have understood would be, you already have a king. But they wanted a king, they wanted a king who is a, a man just like everybody else. But they've got a king. We want a king. Give us a king. And in time, God relented. And what ultimately happens in the story of the kings of Israel and then of Judah and, and uh, uh, Israel itself was a pattern of leadership leading the people into rebellion and idolatry and sin and brokenness. And in the covenant relationship that God has with his people Israel, as long as they were faithful to the covenant, 
as long as they serve God and God alone and no other false gods before him, as long as they lived and kept the commandments, it would go well for them and they would be in the land. But when they went into rebellion and when they went into idolatry and when they strayed from the God of their covenant, then punishment came. This is the pattern. This is, this is the Old Testament. This is the message to us here. Is no matter how hard we try, God has laid his holy law out before us. He laid it out specifically to the people of Israel. Laid it out, said this is, this is what it takes to have reconciled relationship, restored relationship with the holy God. These things you must do to restore that relationship with me, with a holy God. In the story of the Old Testament from Genesis 3 all the way through, and as we follow a crimson thread that takes us to Jesus, the story of the Old Testament is the futility of man trying to reach God again on his own, by his own efforts. Time after time after time, we see the, the attempts of following the lie that came in Genesis 3 from the, the, the lips of the serpent, if serpents have lips, from the lips of the serpent to say, you will be as God. And the story of the Old Testament, the story of Israel is time after time after time, they would not be as God. They could not be as God. And God chose to give us this example through his chosen people to demonstrate the utter futility of man striving to restore that right relationship with God. His holiness set forth in the law was unattainable by the efforts and the strength of man by himself. We had to have a savior. After the granting of Israel's request for a king, we move into the utter decline of the nation of Israel. As they follow their earthly kings into sin and rebellion and idolatry, they become like the other nations. And they become dispersed through exile and conquer to the other nations. So here we are, a rebellious, idolatrous people People of God now living under the consequences of violating the covenant of God. Result, conquered and exiled. As I mentioned, some remained in Jerusalem. And if you were to read the second half of Jeremiah 29, you would, you would see that in all likelihood, things were far worse for the people who stayed in Jerusalem than the people who were exiled to Babylon. I think that's an important piece. It's not, it's not you know, vital, but I think that's an important piece to understand the word of God through Jeremiah to the people in exile. They have opportunity here. They can do some things that are going to be positive. They, they've got some level of freedom or ability to be able to live as God would have them to live in exile. The instruction and encouragement carries with it a strong, a strong sense of the same to the church of this encouragement and instruction in the time that we live in. It's just been a few months ago, uh, maybe in the past year, when uh, 
Pastor Steve is taking us through First and Second Peter. And if you'll recall in the first chapter of First Peter, we see that as, as Peter speaks God's truth to the people, to the church, that we are exiles. In uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the church is made up to some degree as exiles of the dispersion. By the time that First and Second Peter were written, the church was already beginning to spread throughout the Mediterranean world and even beyond. And then in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 1, conducting uh, the encouragement to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The time of our exile, the time of their exile, the time of our exile is now. We are a people living in exile. It's easy, I think, to think of the church in the first two centuries as this, this incredible wave, this incredible wave of, of God's Holy Spirit gathering his people and just spreading across the nations. It wasn't that way. From a couple hundred people at Pentecost to a dispersed people spreading out, and yeah, as we read through the book of Acts, we see hundreds of people, even thousands of people coming to know the Lord. But the vast majority were not coming to the Lord. And the church struggled and thrived all at the same time. And God's word went, went forth, but one thing never changed and hasn't changed. This side of the resurrection, of our resurrection, we are a people in exile. And to that, I want to apply this passage to us today in the church. The first point is God's people are to live the lives they are called to in the city which they have been placed. God's people are to live the lives they are called to in the city to which they have been placed. So verses 4 through 7 we see this, this encouragement, this admonition of how to live in the city that we're placed, how to live ex as exiles. Uh, and, and it's, to me, I read this passage, and this, this is incredible. This passage speaks of hope for today. Even as we look to the hope for tomorrow, but for today, we can live the will and the purposes of God in the city in which he has placed us. Right now, as, as Pastor Steve's taking us through the Gospel of Matthew, we're in the Beatitudes. And uh, as, as I was working through this passage and preparing and, and listening to Steve and talking about the, the, the Beatitudes is pointing out to us the good life. How to live the good life, living life well. And each beatitude comes with a promise that we'll, we'll continue to be looking at those promises in the weeks to come. But I want to just take a quick minute and go through the blessings of the beatitudes. Because this speaks to the text in Jeremiah, particularly verses 4 through 7 of, of chapter 29, of how we as the church, how as we as individual Christians ought to be living in the, in the city that we've been placed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Does this apply to our lives here today in our city to which we are exiles? Is this not telling us how we go about building houses and living in them, planting gardens and eating their produce, taking wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for our sons and give our daughters in marriage? This is how we do that. This is the spirit in which we do that. Tomorrow or Tuesday for some of us, we're going to leave our houses for which we have built in one form or the other and live faithfully in our families. We're going to get married, stay married, man to a woman, woman to a man. We're going to have children and we're going to wait, raise them in the ways of the Lord. Speaking as Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Knowing that the things are not always going to work out just right, and sometimes things are going to go terribly wrong. Sometimes because of our unfaithfulness, sometimes because of our own sin and idolatry. Sometimes it's just going to go wrong in the sovereignty of God. And knowing that even in the, the, the things that aren't going the way we want to, even in the things that go, go about in our lives that are tragic, God's purposes will not be thwarted, and he will prevail. Our call today, you know, the, call, the call to Israel was an impossible task. Live holy lives in covenant with God. And the point is, you can't do that. But strive for it. The word to us in the church is, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your own. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now, go in that grace. Go in that faith. And thrive in the community that you've been placed. How do we do that? We live our lives. And we seek to live our lives in a way that's honoring to the kingdom and foreshadowing the kingdom to which we have a great hope that one day that kingdom is going to be gloriously and perfectly fulfilled and we're going to be there in the presence of God. But in the meantime, it serves us well to recognize we're not home. This isn't home. And there's a freedom in that realization because when the things are going on around us in the city in which we've been placed that are completely contrary to the word of God, completely contrary to God's purposes, we don't have to fall into that, but we can live godly, quiet lives that can shine out as a beacon of light and hope into the world that we've been placed in, into this present cultural moment. 
And in so doing, in living lives like that, we are seeking the welfare of the city. Are we doing this just so that we're going to have food to eat and our kids are going to be raised up good and we're going to have a, a roof over our head during the time of our exile? No. The context brings us right into verse 7, where we seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. The word that's translated welfare here is, is it's a great word. And I'm glad that it was translated welfare rather than peace because the, the, the text, the, the, the Hebrew term here is shalom. Most of us have probably heard that term. And it can be rightly translated as peace. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than what we would probably understand as welfare. But shalom is, is this all-abiding peace of being in the presence of God. And living in the fullness of his Holy Spirit. That is where we find that shalom, the welfare. And we should be seeking that for our community. We should be seeking that for where God has placed us to live. Because in their welfare also comes our welfare. So as we seek to live this way and, and living out godly lives and whatever else, I, I want to I encourage us here because I think sometimes in our, in our frustration with the way things are, our natural response is not so much just live your lives in the city that God has called us as his people. But what we want to do, we want to default into you know, going out into the streets and protesting and rebel against rebellion. Get angry. Grow in fearfulness. Grow increasingly anxious at how bad things have gotten. Christian, that is not shalom. And God gives us that shalom as we seek to live faithful quiet lives in the community that he's placed us in, in the circumstance that he has placed us in. I've never been one to say, nor will you ever like, likely hear me say, oh, I can't believe the shape the world's in. This is the worst it has ever been. What you're more likely to hear is if I hear that, saying something in response of, yeah, do you remember the Christian tiki torches in Nero's garden parties? Do you remember the different persecutions of the church that have gone on throughout the history of the church. Things have never been good since Genesis 3. And they're not going to get any better anytime soon. And that's part, of the, that's part of the message of hope that Jeremiah is giving here. That may seem kind of contraindicated, but that's part of it. Don't, don't despair with what you see around us. Don't despair. Don't grow fearful. Don't be anxious. The God who sees the lilies of the field and makes them clothed in splendor and beauty and stuff takes care of us. In this time, in this cultural moment, the kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming. It will be yet fulfilled, and when it is, it will be in glory and all will be made right. All the curse of Genesis 3 
ends. And the restoration of the kingdom comes in glory. That doesn't take away from the fact that we live in a cultural moment that whereas it's not as bad as it's ever been, and it may not even be as bad as it's ever going to be, it's strange. I'm 60 years old. When I was in college, I couldn't have even begun, began, begun, to dream that some of the things that are going on in, in our culture, in our society, in our community, some of the, the beliefs that have been taken place would ever have happened. 1980, somebody saying, I'm a, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, or the other one went, what? Didn't even make any sense. And yet today, that's becoming not only something that people understand, but they accept as being normative. And those who don't accept it that way, <laughs> what we've seen is, is a progression really in the last 70 years in Western culture, and particularly the United States, I would say, is this um, going from assumed Christian, Christian with a small c, assumed Christian society, as we progress through, and, and I would say roughly 60s, 70s, 80s, to tolerating Christian and Christian values and coexisting together, to, to, to today's post-Christian culture, where Christian values are today not the default, and in many circumstances, even most Christian values are seen as the problems in society. A lot of us can remember a day where someone may not have professed to be a Christian, but they would hold to particular sets of moral values as being normative and good for the culture and for the society in which we live. That's changed. We all know that. And the encouragement we have from Jeremiah is... We can still live in this community. And we can still live as the people of God and, and stand firm. But we don't have to isolate away from the community. We don't have to fight the community. That battle's been won. This is, this is the skirmishes of a war that has already been won. Uh, think back in, in history, there were, I don't know for how many years after uh, World War II ended, particularly in the, in the Asian theater, there were people in these isolated islands and stuff throughout the, the South Pacific. Um, they didn't know the war was over. Isolated pockets of Japanese that were still fighting the war. The war is won. And what I see in, in this, this encouragement in Jeremiah 29 is, we don't have to keep fighting that war. The war is won. Live our lives, live our lives well in the city in which we've been placed. That doesn't mean that we're silent. It doesn't mean that we don't say, no, 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 that's wrong. That doesn't mean that as we're raising our children and our grandchildren and stuff that we don't say, this, this is God's truth. 
I know that's what you're seeing over here and in, in, in the community, maybe in your school or in the workplace. I know that's what you're seeing, but that's not God's truth. That's right here. So we live our lives. And, and as a specific example, maybe we don't go stand in front and protest at an abortion clinic. But as Christians, we come alongside that scared, hurting woman who has a child inside of her and she has no idea what she's going to do. And she's scared to death. Can we come alongside that person? Men, as Christian men, can we come alongside that young man that needs to learn what it is to make responsible choices and take responsibility for his choices? and didn't live his life for his family? Yeah, we can do that. Pray for the welfare of the community. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Taking care of and advocating for the least of these, seeking their shalom. And in the process, we're gonna find shalom in our, in our troubled times. Christ's peace. John 14, 27. <laughs> I bring you peace. Not as the world brings peace. Not as the world understands peace. I bring you peace. Real peace. That you can go and live your lives, build your houses, have children, go to work. Glorify God in that work by his grace. Romans 12, 18 to 21. I'm not going to read all of it, but just beginning. If possible, if possible, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace. It does have the caveat, if possible. Sometimes we're going to have to make a stand. I have heard a term in the last year that uh, I'd never heard before. But I, I think it bears merit for, for a lot of us especially as, as we work in various capacities in our community, a theology of getting fired. It's not a theology of, of, of fights and lawsuits. and No, these are my principles. This is what God has commanded me how to live, and I can't do that in this particular context. If I have to do that in this particular context, I'm going to have to leave. Can we do that? And that's, that's, not, that's not making a stink. That's not drawing un, un, um, unnecessary attention. It's living our lives where God has placed us and in his will, his purposes. Which takes us to 1 Peter 3.15, which I think is, is, is the core of, of evangelism, of how we're to, to share our faith, share God's truth in the community. 1 Peter 3.15, hopefully it's a familiar passage, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. It's holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. As we live our lives in the hope 
of we are the people of God, the people who have been saved by the, the, the death, the blood, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is now reigning in heaven and will reign, and will reign in fullness as he draws his people back to him, to this place. We're going to stand out. We're going to stand out in a good way. This is hard. This is hard. There have been huge times in my life, this last year notwithstanding, where I have not done this well. I have not done this well. I haven't had anybody in the last six months ask me about the hope that is in me. We're getting better. But this is, this is evangelism. This is how we live in the community that God has placed us as a people of hope. How we seek the welfare of the community that we're in. We live our lives quietly and well and not ashamed of the gospel and not afraid to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And not afraid to live our lives in a way that shows the hope that is within us. So to the, the second point, God's purposes for the welfare of his people will come to pass regardless. Just bouncing back up to verse 7 real quickly, because it sets the, the tone for this point as well. Uh, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it's in its welfare will you find your welfare. Do we pray for our leaders? Both leaders in the church, please, please. But do we pray for our political leaders? Even those, and maybe especially those, that we disagree with? And disagree with with good, good reason. Because when we're, when we're praying for them, we're not saying we agree. We're not saying, this, you know, good job. Let's keep doing this. No, we're praying for God's purposes to, to come into the community. We're praying for the welfare. Because we know that ultimately, lives lived in sin, outside of faith, outside of the gospel, do not end in welfare. Do not end in shalom. And as we love God, love neighbor, we ought to be praying for the welfare of the community, which includes our leaders. I just encourage you to do that. It's hard. It's hard. Because right now, we don't agree with a lot of our leadership. And that's, that's a good thing. That's all right. But pray for the welfare of the city. And God's purposes for the welfare of his people will come to pass regardless. That's a great hope. That's a great hope. It doesn't matter how far down the sewer our culture goes. God's purposes prevail and the gates of hell will not prevail. God wins because he's already won. And his, his people 
we are victorious as well. The time that this passage was written, there were false prophets, and that's addressed uh, verses 8 and following. There were false prophets, and, and basically what they were doing is they're saying, God has told me, and I'm telling you, that this exile is just about over. In fact, you might as well go back, pack up those U-Haul carts, and hit the road because we're going home. We still have those false prophets in our midst. It, at different times in history, it's been louder and more pronounced and more obvious. But we rest in knowing that God's purposes will come to pass regardless and in God's time. Now we have a specific time frame here for the exiles in Babylon where Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. This place being physical Israel. We have the same promise. The exile is not permanent. The exile is not over tomorrow. Though it may be. But we can't say it is. Because it's in God's purposes and God's sovereign, sovereign time. Don't dwell on when the fulfillment of the kingdom is coming. Dwell on it is coming. It is established. And we are those people. We are the people who are going to be drawn in uh, to, to the Father and walk in his presence forever. That which was going on in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 That's this place to which God is returning us to. That hope is ever before us. No matter what's going on in our, our neighborhood, our city, our nation, that hope is ever before us. But don't get caught up in, in when that's going to happen. Build houses. Get married. Have kids. Go to work. Live God's hope in the community, knowing that he is coming. Knowing that his kingdom is going to be fulfilled. The fulfillment of this prophecy did happen for the nation of Israel. And I, th I think there's, a, there's a, a warning for us here. And it was in the context of, of pre-Messiah and nation, the nation of Israel being held up as an example for us that we can't do this on our own. It requires God's grace. Seventy years, we read in Ezra and Nehemiah, they returned to Israel. They returned to a mess. The walls had been crumbled, the city walls, the defenses were gone, nothing there. The temple had been destroyed. And the walls were restored to a point, and the temple was restored to a point. As we read in Ezra, the people, the people who had seen the glory of, of the, the previous temple, they were saddened at what they saw because it wasn't, it wasn't the glory of before. And 400 years later, 
essentially. For the same reasons that they were in exile before, the nation of Israel ceased to exist and it was pretty much wiped from the face of the earth. It wasn't just that they were dispersed from the land, the land was no longer theirs. Christian, the land is ours and it's eternal and it's permanent. When Christ left the tomb empty, this was the beginning of the fuller fulfillment. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That empty tomb and Christ reigning in, in, in heaven today is the assurance, is the assurance of that hope. future and a hope. I'm reminded of a, a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. You'll recognize the words. Um, may have even heard them and sung them recently. It's a poem that became the carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I just want to read the last two stanzas. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the poem doesn't end there. No more than the gospel ends at the cross or in the tomb. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. We are a people of hope if we are in Christ. God's plan for us is a shalom it is coming. He will restore us back to this place. This place is before the fall. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death, death shall be no more. Neither, there, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. These are the plans that God has for us, his church, his chosen people. These are the plans for shalom, not for evil, to give us a, a future and a hope. It is a true and a sure hope, and it's here, and it's coming. Let's pray. Father God, <laughs> let us live in your true and sure hope. When we go back into the community, when we go back into our homes, Lord, let us 
Let us live in faith as a people of hope because that is, that is who we are. That is who you made us to be. And even as we look forward to the glorious restoration of right relationship between you and your people, as we walk in your presence for eternity, God, we thank you that today, this day, this city, we live in that hope. We live in shalom. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.